Welcome to Elevate, the podcast where we dissect exceptional achievers who are consistently raising the bar personally and professionally to produce extraordinary results in investment real estate and ultimately in their lives. Now here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here, and I'm so thankful to be sitting here with Dr. Brad Calabrese. How are you, you, sir? Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tyler, for coming. Absolutely. Well, thank you for for letting us in your beautiful uh, building here and uh, for having us. And I want to welcome Elevate Nation back uh, because we're taking it to another level today. I have no doubt about that. Our conversation, just very briefly, I have no doubt this is going to be a dynamic conversation today. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what we're looking to do is we're looking to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally, Mm -hmm. professionally, and beyond. And the thing about you, and we're going to dive into that here shortly, is that you're somebody who's seeking excellence. You've Mm -hmm. you've sought after excellence for decades and you've attained that and you continue to push that bar. So I think that's why it's really kind of, you're you're a perfect person for this conversation. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, you know, this is a masterclass for leaders Mm -hmm. and for those who are Mm -hmm. looking to achieve uncommon results Mm -hmm. um, and purposeful outcomes. And, you know, a lot of what we talk about is real estate and really it's through kind of personal development, personal growth and pushing beyond those limits as we talked about. And I want to remind Elevate Nation, if you are appreciating what we're doing, we would appreciate if you subscribed, if you gave us a rating and a review, it certainly would help us. You know, our goal is to reach millions of people with this message. And I know you know this, but you know, there's millions of people out there who are just tolerating their life and they're not willing to do what it takes to get to that next level. So what we're going to do today is we're going to show them exactly how to do that through the experience of you. And so uh, I want to introduce everybody to Dr. Calabrese. Uh, He is a graduate of Indiana University Medical School and completed residencies in both general surgery and plastic surgery at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. Subsequently, he completed a cosmetic and breast surgery fellowship with Dr. G. Patrick Maxwell and began practice in Louisville, Kentucky in 1997. I know. Does that feel weird? Yeah, 22, 23 years ago. That's why I say decades, but it's probably gone by pretty quickly, huh? Yeah, it's fast. Oh, it's fast. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's faster. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're 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 a high pace guy, yeah. and you you back a lot into into a day. So I'm sure it seems <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like much I've, more I've, than I've, two. I've yeah. said I've lived already like two or three lifetimes. Yeah, just yeah. In how much I'm awake, and the right. things I get done in a week. Well, and there's no excuse. I mean, a lot of people say, "Well, you know, I can't do that because I don't have enough time." But you 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 make it happen too. So I think I, I, I want to definitely dive into that. Yeah. So let me continue here because there's yeah. I mean we have a lot, and I want to I want to hear. I always like to hear about myself. So I know. It's fun. What's this? Yeah. Yeah. So, so he is a dual clinical faculty appointments with the departments of plastic surgery and the University of Louisville and the University of Kentucky, uh, received teaching honors in 2007, 2011, 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2019. Let me just tell you, this is an accomplished individual and somebody that a lot of people look up to. So Dr. Calabrese is a board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery and a member of the American Society of Plastic Surgeons and American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. He has a thriving cosmetic surgery practice, which we are uh, sitting in the beautiful (laughs) headquarters of right now, uh, performing approximately 1,000 major cosmetic procedures each year, including facial surgery, body contouring, breast surgery, hair transplantation. Maybe I need some of that. I don't know. I wasn't going to say anything. I mean, some people tell me bald is beautiful. In fact, that's what my nieces tell me. Yeah. 
right. This is actually so. You know, right. My husband is actually has no hair. Okay. He's bald right. too. You know, you've never heard of before. So yeah. Well, you know um, what? I've had a few people talk to me about the bald thing, and I just want to say Jeff Bezos. I'm just throwing out names here. I know, right? Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. They're they're okay. They're yeah. okay. Well, you know, I yeah, I know. I feel bad because I do hair transplants, and I've done them for um, nearly 25 years now. And um, I still have a, a 56, I still have a full head of hair. So uh, you feel yeah. a little guilty when you're talking to them. And they say, you know what I mean? And I'm like, not really, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I can imagine. Well, all I can say is look at Michael Jordan. I mean, come on. I mean, the guy exactly. is- The rocket is it's definitely not impairing their ability to be successful. It's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. And there's, you know, I, I always joke, I say this tongue in cheek. I look at the studies and they say, well, you know, bald men are seen as more powerful. So who knows? Who well, knows? you know, there's a the concept that the more testosterone you have too, um, creates, um, lack of hair on your head but more hair right. maybe on your back so, okay you know, so, right. yeah. so it's much more so of like a beast take care of that. sort of beastie sort of testosterone thing interesting yeah. interesting mm -hmm. okay so that tells you a lot yeah so yeah, uh, a lot about where this interview is going to go right right, right. Exactly. we don't know where this is yeah, going to go I know, right. I know it's going to be high level but i want to i want to finish up here so oh, yeah. he is considered one of the usa's leaders in the field of cosmetic breast surgery, performing at least 400 breast surgeries per year. And he's participated in multiple FDA clinical breast studies and has been a consultant and speaker for Allergan. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Mm -hmm. All right, all right. Mentor in Cientra. Dr. Calabrese lectures essentially in the US and internationally. I know he just got back from Australia, mm -hmm. which we're both fond of. We're not fond of the jet lag, uh, but other than that, you yes. know, this is a world-renowned individual. Uh, and he's also an ASAPS visiting professor and recently won the Scott Spears Award for the best breast, <laughs> the best breast, breast lecture. lecture in 2018. So Dr. Um, Calabrese yeah. has hosted four Sientra preceptorships each year since 2014, where he performs live surgery to educate on pre-operative uh, assessment, surgical approach, and post-operative care where using shaped and round Sientra textured implants. He has also performed live surgeries at the 2009, 14, 16, and 2019 Atlanta Breast Symposium and has published extensively on the subject of aesthetic breast surgery. So, And I did I, live surgery in Russia um, last year too, and that was interesting. So we yeah. talked about what it's like to do live surgery um, in Russia. Well, I mean, the whole point of this is like, we're talking about somebody who is world renowned, you know, somebody who yeah. has, you've worked to get there. Mm -hmm. I know this hasn't mm -hmm. come uh, naturally. And so I do want to know, you know, I want to know the core of you. I want to know well, like what's deep down and, and like, tell me more about Dr. Well, Calabrese behind yeah. this bio. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, what I think about um, is you think about success, you know, and how you define success. Um, and some people define it financially, yep. um, and they'll define it, you know, or through stature and power, sure. you know, um, you know, but there's a lot of ways to find success and there's a lot of paths to get to be successful. Um, you know, and I tell, I, I give lectures on business of plastic surgery and the business of surgery. Um, and in that conversation, you know, um, I always tell the plastic surgeons not to compare themselves to me because, you know, in business, you, you know, in, in life, you can't be great at everything, mm -hmm. right? So whenever you're gonna be successful and try to be successful and really be the best at that area, whether it be an athlete or in business, something suffers on the other side of it mm -hmm. and your skill set somewhere else is gonna, going to go down because if you try to be great at everything, mm -hmm. it creates global mediocrity. It's, does it, you're not, no longer gonna be expert because you can't. So for some people, maybe it's being father of the year and maybe those responsibilities are how they judge their success, their mm -hmm. children, everything else. And that's a highly, admirable and a, a great way to define success. 
you know, and I, and I, you were just describing all the things that I do in a year and I travel, you know, internationally all the time and I lecture and I have a fellowship. I now have a fellowship. Um, plus I have the two, the residents that come from the university of Louisville and Kentucky. So we have, I'm teaching all the time. I do preceptorships here. I published, I got last year, I won the award for the um, best paper of 2018 in the aesthetic surgery journals, which was one of our big um, plastic surgery journals. Um, so, and you think, well, that's not, you know, that's not being in the business of plastic surgery. And you're exactly right. Because all those things that you just described, half of what my bio were all things that I don't make money at. Mm -hmm. I don't go and lecture for money. Um, you do it for other reasons, you know. So, so you said I'm very highly acclaimed and successful. I am a key opinion leader around the world as it relates to breast. Um, but that came without financial gains on the other side of it. And yet you can define that as one of the ways you would define my success, you know what I mean? So I think for, for people as, they, as I think, talk to them about success, it is if you're constantly searching for the next dollar, to, and that's how you're gonna judge your success, then you're gonna miss the big opportunities that lie ahead, right? Mm -hmm. And so I can't separate out why I'm busy in clinical practice. And was that because um, I'm just a good plastic surgeon? Is it because I have done all these other things and people understand what I've done in my, in my involvement and that makes me busy? It's hard to know. I think that you do your very, very, very best. And you try to be smart about business and you hope at the end of the day, you are financially successful and comfortable and there's ways to get there and do that and be smart in business. Um, and at the same time, follow your passions and, and, and define your success by something more than how much money you actually make um, from doing each event. Because along the way, you're not gonna make money at everything you do, but they become part of the whole package that creates who you are and what your business is and what you stand for. And I think you know, that's extremely important as a part of what defines who I am. How would you define success? Yeah, I think success, well, I think ultimately success is defined by happiness and joy. Um, and so it's different people need different things to find happiness and joy um, in their life. And for me, it is to make sure I've lived a full and complete life, right? And that I've done all that I could possibly do to, you know, to deserve this life, you know? And I've had a lot of privilege. Um, I, I grew up in very humble you know, I lived in, a, I taught my staff, I was like, you know, I grew up in a trailer. I went to high school living in a mobile home, right? I came, I know everybody's life. It's like, I didn't have this great success in front of me. I, my, nobody was a doctor in my family. Um, and so you find a path from that, you know, out into what you do. And, and so you, in, in the process of it, you want to be happy. Reaching my goals has never created happiness for me, hmm. right? You know, I think happiness is a byproduct of how you live your life how you live each day and how you challenge yourself each day um, in order to reach those goals. And in reaching those goals, so you need goals because it's what drives you to the next place, but your happiness is gonna be on how you live your daily life with your friends and your family and the people you care about and how you treat your employees and how you feel like you're in some way being productive um, and contributing, you know? And so I have 20 years of fellows and residents and people I've taught and lectured and um, who still contact me all the time. I just, two days ago, I got a text from somebody from about four years ago, three years ago, who said, um, if I haven't told you this recently, I love you because you taught me a superior pedicle. And he's faculty now at the um, Ohio, at Ohio State 
um, in plastic surgery and he did a micro fellowship. Um, and he teaches his residents and fellows now how to do those techniques for breast lifting for the breast cancer patients. Um, they're important and he just wanted to thank me for teaching him how to do those. Those are the things that you know define for me my success. Yeah. I've touched, made an effect, an impact that lives beyond my my own personal life. You know? Seems like you're really driven by contribution at this point in your life. Would you say that's <laughs> always been the case or is that more of a reason? I know, um, I would think so. You know, yeah. I've always been that kind of a person. You know, I came, I have, you know, deep faith, you know, and so that's part of who I am. You know, so philosophically, I would say that, you know, you know, especially as I've become more successful, um, you know, out of Luke came the concept, you know, in the statements, you know, for those who much is given much is expected. Yes. Right. And so for the privileges that I have, um, I have to give something back. I don't feel good about it if I don't give something back, back on the other side of it. So for my community, for my family, for my friends, for those around me and people I care about and love, and for my residents and my fellows and for my colleagues from around the world, you know, you, you're trying to do whatever you can to contribute back to say, you know, for all my successes, I feel like I have to pay it back like there's you know i have to make sure that it's not in vain but that i understand that you know i was you know on the shoulders of giants along the way i didn't do it by myself mm -hmm. there were teachers and educators along the way who make way less than i make today who were building me in my way to my success um by teaching me what they did and they didn't have to make the highest dollar and everything else and their contributions are part of my success to say mm -hmm. and so i think it's important then from when i become successful is to never forget to then pay it back and to pay it down to those and and do it so I, that's why I, I live my whole life based on that philosophy well and is, isn't it so interesting you know you're always told as you grow up that giving is better than receiving huh. but as a child you're like well wait a minute i love christmas morning mm -hmm. you know i love i love receiving but but it, it it does seem like truly that secret you know once you start to give and you start to get out of your own self and your own selfishness and these kind of things you know, your life starts to really kind of fall in place and then success continues to compound on itself. Yeah, and, and it creates happiness and joy in your life yeah. and everything else. So it does, you know, and you, and I think in a way you don't do it because you're looking for your own happiness or joy. It is because you know you can have an impact, you know? Yeah. And I do, so so today in politics and everything else, I worry because it seems to me in business and in politics often, and when I talk to even my own friends and my own family, um, for those who I do a lot for, that somebody, they lose it some ways in the way. It's all about, you know, doing whatever and, you know, the art of the deal, mm -hmm. do whatever makes you the most money and whatever, so whatever right. you have to hurt along the way, that's good business. If as long as you win at the end of the day, that's a good business model. In my mind, it's not a good business model. Yep, it's I not agree. a good, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we're responsible for taking care of our, our, those behind us and those that grew up behind us and, and being good role models and the words that we say matter and how we act matters, um, you know, in our future, you know, depends upon it, that we don't lose our humanity, um, but that in our successes, that we become more humanitarian, that mm -hmm. we have the ability to actually give back more and do more and set the tone and the stage for how we treat others and how we give back to others and how we give back to our community. That's how we become really who we all became as a people, you know, and I think that, you know, in success, it's, you know, my message is not to lose that. Not yeah. to not to just be so money hungry and trying to be successful, but be successful because there's something great you want to do on the other side of that success yeah. um, that's important. Well, you know, it's so it's such a it's almost a paradox because most I think there is there's two sides of thinking on this. It's like you have the finite thoughts where it's you know win lose mm -hmm. black and white, mm -hmm. or there's like you know what we can all win together. Right. You know, I think that's the best way of, in my opinion 
that's a new wave of thinking that's starting to take hold. It, perhaps it's still on the fringe, but. And, and so much so that if I'm in a, doing a deal and I feel that, that somebody's getting screwed along the way, yeah. I'm not going to feel good about it. Right. And I'm not going to do it. It's not in my moral code. Right? Yeah. It's not in my moral code to do that. I need to make sure that it was a good deal, right? That everybody won in that situation. That this is really good for everybody. If I don't feel that way, then it's something I would step away from. Because at the end of the day, if I'm, I am going to feel bad about it, mm -hmm. right? I'm gonna, totally it doesn't good. help me to screw somebody because I become more successful, right? Yeah. I've got to do it in a way that I feel really good about it along the way. And, you know, you know, I think the more we get that message out and make sure that, you know, we teach others to do the same and, to never lose our moral compass and our sense of humanity. That's what Elevate's all about. It's about yeah. helping other people, you know, because I think, you know, once you get to a certain point, you realize that, you know what, this is an infinite game. You know, there's yeah. infinite opportunities if you share the information, if you share the access, if you share, you know, the opportunities with other people. And it's not about putting other people down, it's about helping them grow. Yeah, um, so you, as we grow up, as we grow this business and this practice, which is very specific here, you know, I think that, you know, you're not, you can talk about competitors, right? And my idea is, I don't even think about what my competition's doing. You know, I say, they're not my competitors, they're my colleagues, actually. They're plastic yeah. surgeons. So they're actually my colleagues, because people always that. refer to them as competitive. But, but in essence, um, it's don't worry about taking market share from them. Let them be busy. Mm -hmm. I don't care how busy my colleagues are, as long as I'm as busy as I want to be, right? Right. So grow the market. Mm -hmm. Don't try to take market from them, share market from them, figure out how you can bring in new concepts, new ideas, new technologies, new techniques that nobody else is doing. So you can treat a whole set of patients you couldn't treat before and or do such a great job of new talks and Botox and fillers that everybody thinks this is the best thing in the world. They start asking more and more people keep doing it. Look what happened to Botox. So in 1997, um, I brought Botox to Louisville, Kentucky in 97. Um, five years before before it was FDA approved for cosmetic uses. Um, look what, how much it's done today, right? Because guess what? It worked. And so like if I was fighting for between me and two other people in town back in 1997 for what we thought Botox marketplace was, we would be lost because actually it's huge, you know? And so everybody can do well. Now today we do millions and millions of dollars in um, Botox and Nutox treatments um, for that. But at the end of the day, back at the beginning, it was because I brought something into Louisville that had never been here before and it was mm -hmm. new and it's different. And I think you'd be to grow into something that is not being offered and, and not think of it as competition um, and don't worry about what your competitors are doing. You know, I've always said, um, I don't look at what they're doing because I'm leading. And if I'm leading, I can't see behind me. Mm -hmm. So I just focus on my future and on what I want to do and what I want to accomplish and hope the best for everybody else right mm -hmm. along the way. It keeps me in a better place. I don't want to be worried about what somebody else is doing or what I'm missing on board that. So. Well, I mean, one of the things that I've learned about competition is that you don't have to compete. You can create, like yeah. you said, you can create a new, you know, yeah. right. uh, a new sphere, a new line of business, a new market, um, and allow everyone to share in that. So what I want to know a little bit more about you is, you know, from, from the core, you know, was there a moment in time where you really just drew a line in the sand and said, look, I'm not going to live this common life. I'm not going to live an average life or below average life or even just kind of, you know, in the middle. I mean, was there a moment in time that that happened or was it a process? Well, I think that it was, um, I, you know, I had very humble beginnings. I think it was that. And I think there was, I had a really vision of myself. I always saw myself as being very successful, right? I mean, I, I saw that. I visioned it, you know. Um, I never thought that it would be different, even though I don't even know why I thought that, because, you know, 
you know, my family was fine, but nobody was super successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I just worked really hard. And I, and I think I just knew, and my parents got divorced. Mm-hmm. And I was you know, getting ready to start my high school. I was getting ready to start ninth grade. And that shakes you up a little bit, right? Because now the whole structure of your family is different. You don't know exactly what your future. Now, whatever your future was is even more unstable. Mm-hmm. And who's going to help me with college and right. everything else, right? And then in that moment, I think I realized that, you know, I was going to have to do it myself, right? There was, I was, there was no silver spoon coming my way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that I had that really wasn't anything about me, it was, it was a gift, was I had intelligence, right? And that's a gift because not everybody has intelligence, right? Yeah, and yeah. has the level of intelligence. Because I sure. always wanted to be a doctor since I was in first grade. Mm-hmm. So it was my whole life. But, you know, that could have not come to fruition um, if I didn't have the, you know, DNA to be able to do that. And I get the idea that, you know, it takes that plus effort and working and everything sure. else. Um, my parents taught me really good work ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the best thing about both of my parents. Um, they wanted me to do really well in school. And they all, I also always had a job from the time I was 12 or 13 or maybe even before. Um, so I always worked. And so, I, I mean, I worked so much when I was in high school that I would, my, I worked for a country club and they closed for three months during the winter. I drew unemployment. And I was in high school because I was working basically full-time wow. in high school while I was still going to school. So then I, did, I worked while I was in college. I worked while I was in medical school. Today in medical schools, you have to sign a paperwork saying you will not work while you're in medical school because they really want you to be focused. Um, but I worked you know, all the way through medical school and, um, and into, until I started residencies in Los Angeles. So I think that, you know, it was just starting there and just going, you know what, I'm going to have to do this on my own. And I'm going to have to um, forge my ground. I'm not going to depend upon my parents or anybody else to do it. So I paid for all my own college, and all my own medical school. Um, and so a funny story about that is that when I come to Louisville in 1997, nobody knows who I am. I've never lived in Louisville in my life. I've never lived in Kentucky in my life. Um, and so then, and I, so I built this little 2,000 square foot office um, in an office building downtown where everybody goes for, you know, back in the day, this was the 90s. And... Um, so it was a nice office because I, I have good taste. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and um, so then, of course, the rumor was that um, that I was that my father had paid for all my and built my built my practice for me mm-hmm. um, and had really silver spooned me um, into this really great setting me up in this great situation. So how unfair of me, you know, because to right. take that opportunity and you know, and the joke of that whole thing was, of course, no, I took a hundred thousand dollar line of credit out mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety seven to do that, but I'd already, um, you know, and I had to pay off my student loans. Um, still when I first started practice, you know, so it was like, you know, that's not true. So um, people sometimes when you're, when you set things up and when you're doing well, um, you know, sometimes you have to fight against that concept that, well, if you're doing well, you've had some sort of unfair, unfair advantage um, in the situation. It makes people feel better, a little better, I think, when they do that. So all you can really do in that situation is, is just to prove your worth and, and along the way, always to be kind, mm-hmm. right? You know, so never give anybody any reason to not like you and when those when those kind of words come at you those torpedoes whatever it is you just yeah. deflect them and just keep going right i mean it's yeah, like everybody's going to say things they're going to make up rumors whatever they do it was a real challenge when i first came to town you know because the, i really had no defenders because yeah. i was just here by myself um and you know it could be a really really hard time because you're kind of alone you know it's kind yeah. of a lonely time yeah um and you kind of have your own doubts mm-hmm. right yeah and so I used to um, tell my um, nurse, who's still with me now, 23 years That's later. Um, so we do surgery, and she would fill some of it from some of the um, colleagues. And um, I would just say, you know, just keep your head down. The cream always rises. Yeah, yeah. You know, yes. just don't say anything. Keep your head down, and let's just do good work. 
and over time we'll just prove ourselves, you know, yeah. um, of what we, we actually do, you know, and maybe if there's, if there's any satisfaction in the whole thing is that, you know, I can now look back and, um, you know, know how successful we did become both, you know, in national, international stature, but also in the, how successful the practice has been. And, you know, and there are moments where you can, if, when I think back on those days and go, wow, you know, had I known that it would all have worked out today, it would have made that day a lot easier. If I yeah. just knew for sure in 1997 that it'll all turn out great, you'll be successful, yeah. you know, that would be, make it easier. But, you know, in those moments when you're the most vulnerable, you don't have it. We all have those doubts as we're building a business and starting a business, yes. you know, everybody has doubt, right? Mm -hmm. You know, as much confidence that so we may put on a different air and try to act like we're confident, but we all go home at night and then we don't sleep, <laughs> sleep as much as we should. And we, we can't yeah. get to sleep and we're waking up early. It's all because we have, you know, what I've always referred to as brain chatter. Mm -hmm. The brain chatter, which gets in our way mm -hmm. of happiness in our life is um, that we get, you know, we, we're thinking about it. We're worried about it, you know? And so, you know, what I try to do in mentoring all of my fellows and residents through the years, you know, is, you know, I tease them a lot, but to be supportive. And that's why when they, you know, teaching a word or everything else, I'm tough on them. And I'm a, you know, I tease you. I mean, and I'm an educator. Um, at the same time, they know that they can fully trust me, you know, mm -hmm. that I'm, I have their back to make sure that, you know, they're not taking advantage of, you know, and I, today I have a lot of authority and power in the country and around, you know, I can get them jobs and find them ways and, um, you know, I can protect them, you mm -hmm. know, and so that they have, you know, the best chance and the best opportunities, you know, in front of them. Um, and, you know, because I know them and refer them and everything else, they're going to be taken pretty good care of because they know if not, you know, I'm going to stand up for them. You know, right. I think that's really, really important. As when I was going through this, so did Dr. Maxwell and people I knew mm -hmm. who would call me on the phone and give me the pep talks. You know, I remember before I came to town, he said, you are, you know, you are, a, what, what Pat Maxwell, who is, who I did my fellowship with it, um, back in 96 said, um, you are a superstar. And when you move to Louisville, no one will want you there. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was, you know, I thought it was kind of crazy. Um, Cause I didn't know, I had never thought anything about business in that way. Um, and um, he was, right and it was good he told me that because i at least would think back on it and go well i kind of he told me this is what was going to happen maybe it's nothing personal mm -hmm. it was the situation right it's not personal about me yeah. it is just what i represent right you know and so i but i did wonder why pat thought i was a superstar too there was another part of that i was like um you think i'm a superstar right but right. i'm not really a superstar somebody identified you, that. yeah but you just think yeah. yeah and that changed everything you yeah. know so after so i think you asked that question about like what what moment changed your life? Yes. So in my early life, why I got did so well in school and all that stuff was I think that why I did this in this business was because we all go through, I was just another resident or fellow, you know, I was mm -hmm. just in, in training. Yeah. Um, and then somebody sometimes sees something in you, yes. right? And that one pivotal person who has a lot of their own power, who is a yeah. leader in the world. Yes. And they are like, no, you're different. You mm -hmm. have skill sets. You are different. You will be a superstar, um, which I think, you know, makes you start to think, do I? Like, you know, I could do this. I can really do this. And you, if nothing else, it gives you the confidence to put your head down and forge through. Absolutely. Because I don't want to disappoint him. Yes. He sees something. I'm like, okay, I better use what, what he sees. So what is funny is, um, when I think about this, so a couple of, let me see, four years ago, three years ago, um, he won the, the um, Dr. Hartramp um, award. It was the Atlanta Breast Meeting. So he had to give a lecture. It was about an hour-long lecture 
it was a very emotional lecture for him talking about his career. And Pat Maxwell has a, a huge career. I mean, traveled the world, invented implants. Did he and write Psycho-Cybernetics or is that another Maxwell? No, I, no he's okay. not. I don't I mean, think you know he, that? Are you familiar no. with that? Okay, we're going to talk about yeah. the concepts of that here soon. Oh, okay, I, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, but he's, he's another a, Maxwell. He's, he's, he's like super smart, okay. you know, and yeah. so... And so when he gave this lecture, he um, then she had a picture of all the um, fellows that mm -hmm. he had on this whole thing. And he said, you know, this has been a big part of my career, mm -hmm. as he said, you know, and what just to train all these people. Very similar to how I feel today about my 23 years in it. Um, and then the next picture of that slide was a picture of just me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, as I mentioned, I had done live surgery at the Atlanta Breast Meeting. So I've been a fixture at the Atlanta Breast Meeting for a long time. And then he said, and then you um, have this fellow, this guy who we all know and everybody in the world knows, and you know who he is and what he's done, and this is why I did what I did. And you go, boy, this many years later, I'm so glad I yeah. succeeded as he thought I would right. because um, it's been so important to him. So every time I do live surgery in like Atlanta or someplace else, um, he'll always be in the operating room um, with me. You know, like he'll come in and he'll know I'm gonna be there, and so he'll be there and stuff. So, you know, those kind of support structures, so you get that person that believes in you. And for anybody in whatever business they're in, it's super important. Yeah. A couple of things I want to digest here. Um, a couple of things that you said there, you know, obviously one of which is that you had a vision for yourself. You were in first grade, you wanted to be a doctor, mm -hmm. I mean, all the way that right. early. And you recognized some of your own sort of intellect and these kind of things. You also had someone else who believed in you. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I mentioned psycho-cybernetics is because it's a book written by a plastic surgeon um, 30 years ago, okay. perhaps 40 years ago. It's actually his last name is Maxwell. So I'm oh. thinking, wait a minute. All right, I'm going to get you. Well, the he's, book. A, he's smart enough. He could have. Yeah, yeah. So. so this book is really, it's, it's about, you know, vision and um, identity. Mm -hmm. It's about who do you believe yourself mm -hmm. to be. And oh, that's interesting. You know, one of the things that I see that's so unique about your business and, and what you do in your practice is you help people cultivate more of an appropriate identity that is more of an empowering belief. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what type of identity have you been able to cultivate and has that, how have you been intentional in creating that yourself? Yeah, for who I am? Yes. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, I think the identity that, I think from my bio, I think you see, um, you know, the identity has um, definitely been um, an educator. So I mm. always define myself in all meetings because we can be involved in everything in our yeah. societies and everything else. Right now I chair the committee um, with the FDA on, on B-I-A-A-L-C-L, which is a thing that has to do with breast implants. And so I can get involved in some of that, but I always come at it as like, you know, any part of what I'm going to be involved with isn't really going to be about marketing or it's going to be about um, the, the leadership in our societies. It's, I'm an educator and I'm mm -hmm. a teacher. And I think that, you know, that's how I, that's how I, what I try to foster, which is, you know, I do run a business and I'm a plastic surgeon and I'm busy. I'm in the middle of doing all that. You know, I'm writing and publishing and lecturing in mm -hmm. private practice, which is unheard of. Yeah. Um, I, I'm like a faculty member at a university, mm -hmm. like full time, yeah. and yet I'm still running a practice. And so I, I, I like to wear the hat of a teacher and educator. Um, you know, I think I'm a successful businessman. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's been one that basically, you know, it's interesting in this practice, um, Calo Spa and Calo Aesthetics, you know, really most everybody that's in plastic surgery around the country knows who we are. Yeah. And we're in, you know, little, you know, we're in Louisville, Kentucky. Right. We're not in the middle of New York or Los Angeles, you know, out there. And yet we have the sort of prototype for that, putting it all together, a spa mixed with the ORs and a plastic surgery practice, really an all-inclusive in a, you know, really making it a, in a more relaxing, comfortable environment, and yet doing medical treatments in that, in a, pla in a place where they want to. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, you know, it comes through that, you know, I think that, you know, I can define my own success 
in, you know, how we've created that and they've done something different. Mm -hmm. um, and I, at the same time, I've always been able to be an educator. So mm -hmm. I think we educate our staff, you mm -hmm. know, and, you know, and I think that's extremely important, educating mm -hmm. our patients um, and educating um, ourselves and educating our future plastic surgeons. And that's what I dedicate myself to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cultivating the identity as an educator that can cross over into all these dynamic ways. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that Elevate Nation really is all about is like, we don't have to just fit in this one box, no. right? We don't have to just do this one thing that's always been told to us. You know, you gotta go plug in and you know, you do your, your cubicle yeah. job and then you're out and then that's all you are. You can do so many different things and live this great life and contribute to other people. So what a great example. Uh, one thing I'd like to know from you is like, what fast forwarding like to now, you're talking about your business, you're talking about your practice and, and obviously everything you're doing across the world as an educator and really just contributing without any financial interest in many ways. I'm curious to know what's one you know, great example of something that you've raised the bar within your practice that's really kind of elevated your own results. Um, well, I think that, you know, you get better at something when you teach it, mm -hmm. right? There's no doubt about that. So, you know, what I know today as it relates to breast surgery. Now, as a plastic surgeon, I do, just like any plastic surgeon that does it, I do facelifts all the time. I do hair transplants, we've mentioned. <laughs> I do tons of body contouring, mommy makeovers, tummy tucks, body lifts, I mean, all the stuff. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of it. Um, but as, as teaching and writing, I only teach or write really mostly about breast. I do some facelift stuff, but generally most about breast. So then when you teach it and write about it, you get better and better at it. Yes. So today, yes, yes, yes. I know that there is no doubt that when it comes to breast surgery, both because of how much I've done and how much I continue to do and my teaching it and writing about it, um, that there's really, it'd be hard pressed to find anybody that knows more than I know about breast. So I travel the world, like it takes a lot to know that you're gonna be on podium and panel in front of yeah. 300 plastic surgeons sure. or in any one country or 500 plastic surgeons asking you questions on a panel, and, you know, and yet you know that it's, you have no stress about it because they can't ask you anything you don't know about. You've right. not written about, you have a paper. They, you know, I went to, when I go to Australia four years ago, um, I was thinking, why, who's gonna come listen to me? They don't even know who I am, right? You know, and then you get there, then of course they all know who you are. They all know your papers and they know what yeah. you've written. And, you know, so they know me through what I've written and what I've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and then this is a second visit, uh, which was just um, a couple weeks ago, um, you know, I gave 20 lectures there. Um, you know, I think that's made me great. So I think um, as much as I'd like to do so many things, I'm so involved um, as it relates to plastic surgery, you know, in breast surgery, um, you know, you're being the very, very best. And that's why people refer people from around the country for me to take care of because um, you're just best at that. And I think and I think it is important to have um, centers of excellence within anything. If you, I, I don't think it would be just globally doing a little bit of everything and you gotta, you know, sort of hang everything on one or two things that you're really good at, and then everything else around it supports and surrounds that for it. But you know, you need a draw for people. You need yeah. something to talk about. Yes. And something about you. If you're if you're an if you say you're an expert, you can just say it. Um, or you show it. But yeah, can you show it? And mm -hmm. can you demonstrate it that I am an expert? Yeah. And and then more importantly, do you believe it? Do you do you get to that point? I think as you get older, um, and you've done it long enough, you know, you do. You go. I actually am an expert. And people say, do you get nervous for lecturing? Or like, what? Um, no. I mean- That's what you do every day. Every day of my life, yeah. you know, both teaching my residents or fellows. Um, no, that's the easy, and, and when I do live surgery, a lot of plastic surgeons don't like to do surgery in front of plastic surgeons, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so used to it, but also what I do every day is plastic surgery. You right. know, getting up in front of a lecture or writing a chapter or writing a book, you know, 
is harder because it's not what I do every day. Sure. Doing surgery in front of people and explaining what I'm doing is super, super easy. You know, we just finished, we're just finishing this weekend, um, we wrote a textbook um, for plastic surgery on breast surgery and mm -hmm. on breast lifting and implants. And so we're just finishing up and it's gonna be big. It's like five or six, 700 pages um, book. So it's a long book. Um, so that's a big accomplishment, I yeah. think. It sort of represents a little bit um, you know, a lifelong of work and leading up to, you know, something like that, which is a textbook. One of the things that I really get out of that is that it is all about teaching. When you teach someone else something, you get better at it yourself. Totally. So it's like when you give, you also receive. Yeah. I mean, that's really been the theme of our conversation. And it's such a great reminder because I always say on the podcast, it's like, hey, share this with a friend, you know, yeah. go and talk to somebody else about this, replay this, take notes, but also teach it to someone else. Yeah. Share this information. It's like we were talking about in the beginning. It's like, you don't have to just take market share, you can create a new market share. Absolutely. And grow it and then grow your own understanding, grow yeah. your own wisdom. You know, there's a great book um, called Creating Magic. And it's, um, it's, it talks about, you know, how to build your practice, how you build your business and your staffing and your people that work for you. At the end of the day, you know, you're more than you in my business and in almost every business, you have other people that support that business, yeah. right? So how can you create that environment within your workplace mm -hmm. that is magical? So this was from mm. Disney, the people that are running Disney, oh, that's the awesome. vice president of Disney, yeah. who, teaches a culture to all of their people of, you know, of that, of, you know, so that's why they're so kind and nice yeah. and neat, you know, because they believe it and they, and they, you know, it's sort of leading by example, yeah. right? Creating the magic within your own practice. And how do you do that? You know, you can't be an ogre and not treat your team well um, or demand a lot from them and you're not doing it yourself and um, want them to, and, and have them present to the public an image that's different than the one you're presenting to them, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want it to be a certain image to the public, then you're gonna to have to treat and act that way um, to the public, but also to your team as well too. And people lose that a little bit. They get so driven on their success, um, but their success is their team, right? Yes. You're just one person um, in the game and you can have the biggest vision in the world until you can have everybody around you with the same vision and the same attitude. Um, it's really hard to create it. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I actually read uh, Disney's biography earlier this mm -hmm. year. And it was, I know at, at times I was so stressed out. I'm like, oh my God, is he going to make it? I mean, yeah. there's so many times he's going to lose the whole thing. And of course, everybody in the whole world knows about Disney. And mm -hmm. it is about that culture. It's mm -hmm. about creating magic, not only for the employees, for the people that work there and the people that have the inspiration, but it's for the people who believe in the inspiration, the magic but, of Disney. Right? Because the vision was right. Yeah. Right? And right, so it's hard to get there, right? Yes, but the vision has to be right. And sometimes the vision's not right. You may have failures along the way. Right, people that are going to go into business, you know, just, if you're going to try to be successful, you know, you're going to have to take chances. Yes, right. And when you take chance and when you take risk, is when you can reap the great rewards. Yeah, but you also can have failures. And most people that are big and have had, you see this big success. They started Microsoft, or they, or they whatever. They be started something. If you look back at their career. The first thing they did wasn't successful, right? right? They build up to it. It usually takes an average of six or seven failures to get to the big one where it's successful. You go, oh, yep. look at them. But yeah. no, they've had the failures along the way. So, Overnight success, right? So if yeah. you're not willing to um, take risks, yes. right? Um, then you're not. So I, I give a lecture and it says, um, the business of plastic surgery, are you in it to win? Are you in it not to lose? Right? Mm, are good. you, you know, so are you the um, don't miss the boat sort of person? or are you that don't sink the boat sort of person? Are yes. you driving for the a goal line with a clear sense in mind and you're taking chances, you're proactive, yeah. you know, you it's all of those things, or are you just trying to be careful and cautious yeah. and you don't want any risk? Focus right? on the possibilities. Yeah, because you know at the end, to make it big and to be super successful, it's a risk. 
building this building. I was in Louisville, Kentucky. I was in my 10th year in practice, um, and I was in 3,000 square feet, which I thought was big from my 2,000 square feet office to my yeah. 3,000. And then we go to this one, which is 16,000 square feet. Yeah. I went from 10 employees to 60 employees, yeah. right? Wow. There's risks. Yeah, and course. so I opened this practice in, I built this, we did this building um, in 1997. So you know what happened in 1998, 99 mm -hmm. with the global crisis that occurred, yeah. financial crisis, yeah. and I had now all these employees. 2007. So I, okay. I, I, I moved in here in 2007, okay. 2008, 9, yeah. when there was yeah. a global crisis, yeah. financial crisis, and um, you know, and so you have all these bills, you have all these employees, yeah. you have debts, you have your leases, and all that stuff, and you're like, how am I going to make it through? Right. You know, this period of time. Right. Um, you know, so you have to have a good vision and good business sense to know how to yeah. traverse some challenges along the way because success is on the other side of it. Absolutely. But it's not always easy getting there. Tell me about a failure because that's a great segue. Are you running the show because you're, you're, you're segueing me perfectly here. So yeah. tell me about a failure that's really been, that set you up for later success perhaps that at the time was like, man, this is devastating. Well, I think there was a personal failure and maybe a professional failure. Personal failure was after being in a 19-year relationship that ended. And you kind of go through it, and you're in your residencies yeah. and you're in a relationship, and then right. you go to practice and you build the practice together, and it's a failure. And, you know, and I think that, you know, in the success, there can be a cost on the other side of it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it makes you have to reassess, you know, how did I get to this place? I mean, I dedicated my, my whole life to being in that relationship, and then it failed. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot of blame that goes around um, for that, but, you know, I tried my very best to absolutely own my own piece of that um, for it because you know you get busy in practice you get things relationships change um, and a lot happens along the way and so it's it, it dedicated you so now I am remarried and in relation you know and that it has to be different this time right mm -hmm. and so I have to take care of the relationship it's not just about the business now I mean it's because I'm getting older mm -hmm. um, so I think it it set me up more for being successful personally because I get it now. I reshaped your priorities. I mean, yeah, yeah, and the and the energy I'm going to need to do. Yeah. I I went to, when I had that relationship breakup. I went to a counselor for the first time in my life, right? And she was like, you know, and we were going through financial crisis. It all yeah, happened yeah. at the same time. Oh my God. I had personal crisis and financial it all crisis. All happens together. Yeah, yeah exactly. And she said, and, it was, and she said, you know what? You and I, you're my only client that you've never ever brought up money or your practice or your business at all. She knew exactly what I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she said, clearly, I know that you, business wise, financial wise. You can control that completely. Yeah, you yeah. have you put everything into that. You yes. know it well. Yeah, she goes. But personal life is different, right? You know, she, she says you have a we have an intellectual mind, and we have an emotional mind, right? Mm -hmm. Each one, and she <laughs> encouraged me to use my wise mind, which yes. actually balances the two of those. So I think that did shape me a little bit. And I think that the coming into this town, I was a, I was relatively a superstar resident. I, like, yeah. I always did well. I was with the top of my class. Um, I did great residencies. I did a fellowship after my, two, I did general surgery, plastic surgery, I did a fellowship. I did all my training. I did cut any corners. Um, was it tough? And then you come to town. And then, as I mentioned before, then you're not a superstar anymore because, you know, they would rather see you not succeed. Yeah. And you hear all these things about who you are. Right. You know, you're like, that's not who I am. But they say, and they try to define you in a way, right? Isn't that interesting how it's like you're an up and comer and everybody's cheering you on and then you're, then you're there and it's like, oh no, oh, you're not going to happen. Wait a minute, yeah, yeah, not yet. That's not going to happen to you. Right, no, I right. know. And, you know, and maybe it wouldn't have happened, you know, but it does set you, it does make you dig your heels into the sand. It, did, it wasn't easy, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so you're like, 
okay, I, I can't just float in here and be the superstar anymore, right? right. I have to start back at ground zero, mm -hmm. as if I never was the superstar intern or resident along the way, and reprove myself all over again. I said, how many times am I gonna have to do that? I remember saying that. Like, am I gonna have to go back and yeah. reprove who I am and what kind of surgeon I am yeah. and what my moral compass is, you know? Right. Um, and you do. So it does that failure, that sort of sense of, of failure coming into it and not being the superstar anymore did set me up for success because it mm. did give me um, something that I had to do, which was regain my um, belief in myself and another's belief in me to understand mm. who I am. It's a really horrible thought to have people to have people think of you in a certain way that's based on something that's absolutely not at all true about anything about you, you know? Mm -hmm. in, in some ways, when you're in business or when you're in a successful business um, and you're elevated, there's always going to be that. There's going to be some nice touch there, by the way. Some level, yeah, thank you. <laughs> some level of it all that you're going to have to um, accept. There's going to be some people who are not going to like you. Yeah. But they usually don't even know you. Right. They don't like who you are. Right. Or what you've done. They don't like or the this, concept of who you are. Yeah. yeah. And maybe they don't like plastic surgery or cosmetic right. surgery. Right. Maybe they don't like my success. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they don't like how I market. Maybe they don't like anything, you know, or my personal life, right? Yeah. There's a lot of reasons why sure. somebody, you know, may choose, and you have to come to some success, um, so acceptance of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and know who you are and really know it, um, you know? And so I think, you know, in that, in the business sense, I had to re-remember who I am and, and I would go, no, that's not who I am. I mean, yeah. what? Yeah. You know, and you had to, but it did force me to push forward and want to prove that um, you know, I could make it again, and I could prove myself again, mm -hmm. and be successful. And so I think in the way, and it did me a favor, right? Mm -hmm. Because it did really put that sort of energy energy into me um, to do it. Maybe now I need to figure out how to back it off a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I'm still driving forward. I mean, I will even my you know family will say, "Oh my God, have you not done enough? Right, have you right, not right, done right. enough? Have you right. not written enough? Talked enough? Lectured enough? Right? Um, taught enough? You know, you know, I know. Um, built enough." Go rest. Right. You know? Exactly. Well, that's what Elevate's all about. I mean, most of our people are A players. I mean, we're right. driving. We're mm -hmm. always pushing. We're pushing the envelope. And I think one of the things that you mentioned there was when you were having a discussion with your therapist about, you know, I've got two minds here. I've got the emotional <laughs> yeah. mind. I've got the intelligent mind. And, you know, I've got, I'm compartmentalizing. You know, I've got all yeah. my, my business is in order. All these things are going great. Business is growing. Practice is, is doing well. But, you know, my, my relationships are struggling. And one thing I know that um, a book that I know that you've read, and I think we've also re I've read myself, is uh, positive positive intelligence. Yeah, uh, right. And you know, I do know I read that. Oh uh, well, Katie told yeah, me about right, it. Yeah, right. So, exactly. uh -huh. so um, yeah. We so got, we got our saboteurs and all. Yeah. So I actually want to talk about that because um, you know sometimes the reason why we talk a lot about mindset psychology is because it seeps into business. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, what what type of saboteurs do you have to contend with on a daily basis? Yeah, my own personal ones. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectionist, yes, you know, yes, you know, it could be a real saboteur for you, you know. Um, and I think for me, it's that it is um, the need to, you know, keep exceeding and being yeah. successful. And it can be a saboteur, right? Um, it gets in your way, mm -hmm. um, in, in some ways, you know, for that. So, you know, I have to work on that, you know. Um, we all have them, you know, and to get to a better place, you have to identify them. Yep. And be aware and, of them. And it's a great book because it also helps us to understand each other. Because if you're working with somebody else and maybe you have a different style, mm -hmm. you know, understanding who their saboteurs are, right? Yes. You know, whether it be passive aggressive or, you know, how they manage and deal with these issues um, helps you to understand them. We don't have to all deal with things exactly the same way. 
and both of them be okay. Mm -hmm. We all have our own issues and our own ways of doing it. There's not a right way and there's not a wrong way. It takes a lot of emotional intelligence to do that. Yeah, it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to understand it and be comfortable with it. You know, and I will do it all times in meetings and I'll have a manager that comes to me and like they're frustrated about something, you know, and you have to back them away from it and go, you know, what do you think their intent was? You know, why do you think they said that to you? You know, instead of just reacting to things, Mm -hmm. it is being a little more thoughtful about understanding who the person is and you know how they are and how they act. This is how they manage it. This yeah. is how this is how this comes through with them. It's yeah. how they communicate. Yes. But it's but they you know who they are too. It is a way of communicating. You know, we all should be better at dealing with our saboteurs, but it's not so easy. Well, it's a universal human condition. <laughs> we all have saboteurs. They may be different at any point in time. Yeah. We all have the judge, right? We judge ourselves. Yeah, judge we judge, judge others for sure. You know, and that's something. I think once you start to just become aware, it's like the first mm-hmm. step is awareness. Of, yeah. You know, we've got these things that are trying to control our mind. Yeah. But then you can say, look, I'm in control. Yeah. My, my empowering thoughts are in control. Yeah. You're always going to have to deal with that. But yeah. if you can kind of take that next step. So it's such an interesting book. Um, yeah. And the judge is a horrible one. You know, yeah. judging, you know, because we always, tr- always are trying to judge ourselves and, and measure ourselves to everybody else, right? right? You know, yeah. and we're judging them, you know, trying to put them in a place, you know, where right. you're going to feel more comfortable with them. And it's really, really a struggle, you know, and part of being successful, you know, is understanding those things. You know, I do totally believe agree. all people that are thinking about, would be listening to this and are thinking about how am I going to become successful, right? Yeah. They should start by first reading some books. Totally agree. You know what I mean? They need to understand what is in front of them yes. and what they're going to deal with. Because the more you know that in the front and become smarter about it and thinking about it, the better you're going to be at leading a team to a successful place. Leaders um, are readers. So yeah, we, yeah, leaders are readers. And um, so I spent some time doing the executive um, MBA stuff. We do week, um, during week periods of time. We're doing it for an executive thing at Harvard. And so, you know, and so when you spend some time with them and start to learn, um, you know, things that I knew nothing about, right? Um, it's really enlightening and it really opens up your whole mind to even be better. Yeah. So I think, you know, I love, um, there's a book called The Rockefeller Habits. Oh yeah. Really, yeah. really, really great. Um, in sort of more practical things you can do in the office to structurally set for yourself, you know, your, your weekly goals, your monthly goals, your yearly goals, your five-year goals. How are you going to do that? How are you structurally going to see that? You know, they always say, um, in order to know the, the beginning, you have to know the end. So yeah. what are What's you your outcome? Towards? What is your outcome? What are you yeah. trying to get to? Now let me go back and say, now what do I need to start? What are my steps to get there? Yes. You know, so I think that, you know, think those ideas are really, really important and putting together the team that can help you do that because nobody can do it alone. Well, you're speaking our language with Rockefeller. You're talking about a real estate magnate. Oh yeah, so real estate, sure. right. Yeah. So, so uh, definitely want to know, you know, about habits. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. the segues are phenomenal. I mean, you yeah. want to be my guest host from now on. That's I fine. will do, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll do yeah. that, yeah. So that'd be great. Uh, but I do want to know about your habits. I mean, what are some habits that are integral oh, yeah. towards your success? Because I yeah. know you're a visual guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so I um, don't sleep a lot, but yeah, I, yeah. I think you should sleep a lot. So I'm going to say that's my bad habit. <laughs> okay. But I right. do, but I think, like many successful people that I know, um, I get up early. Yeah. Um, so I wake up, um, this morning was at 4 a.m. And they say 4 a.m. would be, 4.30 would be the latest I ever wake up. Um, so 4 a.m. Um, and I work out every day with a trainer for an hour from six to seven. And then I have breakfast. Um, after that, after I've showered. What type first. of breakfast do you normally have? So I have the same thing every day during the week, which is four eggs which is only one with, yeah, with yolk okay. and 
uh, three, the, the other three are with just whites. So okay. four whites and yep. one yolk um, and a cup of coffee. Love it. That is how I start my, that's my breakfast. Um, and so I'm pretty structured that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then I start surgery at eight o'clock or office hours or meetings and then office hours. Um, so in a way that's very structured while I'm here. And so, and I think, you know, a pattern and structure. So I think that mornings are a good time when your mind has got less clutter, you've decluttered oh, yeah. at night, yes. um, that you can be more energized and thoughtful and thinking about things. So whether you're planning or you're just doing work that you need to get done, um, I think it's a great time to do it. Matter of fact, if I, could, if I didn't work so early, I would love to like work out more like at eight, so I would have about four hours to do it. But yeah. like one day this week, um, I woke up at 12.30 in the morning. So I went to bed at eight and woke up at 12.30, so I didn't get quite enough sleep but I had them from 12.30 till six um, to work on things. I'm finishing the book and mm -hmm. um, writing articles for journals and stuff. And so there was just work to do. Um, and so, but I don't think you want to do a whole life doing that, but there's yeah. moments when you have to sort of get some work done and do that. So, but at nighttime, I don't work. Mm -hmm. So in other words, when I'm done with work here this evening, um, my sister-in-law's in town. So we're going to go to dinner. Um, you know, we'll do that. We'll come home and I'll maybe watch some TV or do or talk or read yeah. a book or something and then go to bed. So yeah. I don't, you can't work all the time. Yes. Right. So, you know, nobody's really awake most of when I get up. Right. So it's time <laughs> when I'm not interfering with somebody else's life. I'm right. doing it on my own. And in a time when I can have peaceful cup of coffee and thinking, I never, ever, ever let somebody mess, my, mess up my workout though. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it can, because if everybody always says the same thing, I'm so busy. Right. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I don't have time to work. I'm so busy. Got to make time. You've got me time. And successful people make time. Yes. So I work out. So I start working out. I work out at Milestone, Baptist Milestone. Um, so now who I work out with are people who I've just met at Milestone. I don't know them professionally. But like um, one's a neurosurgeon. One's a cardiologist. Um, I, have, I work out with two or three um, back surgeons or orthopedic surgeons. Um, an oral surgeon. Two oral surgeons. You know, successful people. Yeah. And they're all up at 6 a.m. with me. Absolutely. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's clue. Like, is there a clue there? I think. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Is the successful people get up early and you know, but we should sleep enough. And so I For think sure. that, you know, and then I just, like I said, I was bed at eight, you know, so some, if I'm going to get up early then I can go to bed so I get enough um, sleep. I, I was, when I was younger, I really would sleep on like, I would five hours or so of sleep. I really do like seven hours, six or seven hours. It's yeah. The older I get, the better it is, but I don't always get it. Um, but I think you have to recharge sometimes and do that. But I think habits, yes, right? Habits. So in my so practice, important. we have every week. So we have huddles every morning that I'm not a part of. We mm -hmm. huddle to plan a 10-minute huddle to arrange the day mm -hmm. in different areas okay. of it, right? To plan out. It's quick. What's going on? Let's get everybody planned. Um, and then once a week, I, in front of my different teams on Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m., um, to stay on schedule so that some we meet every three months. Mostly we meet every once. So I mean, like my spa meeting is once a month on mm -hmm. one of those Wednesdays. My financial meeting is once one a month, my yep. executive meeting. Yep. And then we do it. So we split them up into my team lead meetings. And so every Wednesday, usually once a month, everybody, they, everybody gets in front of me um, who needs to as far as leading the team because otherwise it gets lost. Yes. You get busy. And you, you stop leading. Well, you're talking about is installing habits within your teams as yes, a leader as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's awesome. Habits. Yes. Because habits, that's what right, I told you, the Rockefeller habits. Yes. I like creating habits because they make us accountable and, and it makes us move to the next level. As I said, in order to know the end, you get to the beginning. I mean, the beginning, you get to the end, which is exactly true. You have to then say, okay, what's our plan? So we have open house coming up, right? Yeah. yeah. It's planning months in advance for a, a very big three or four weeks of open absolutely. house. 
um, where we'll generate, you know, we'll do over $2 million of sales. Well, that takes a lot of coordination of what we're going to do. So we start planning it. And then you, and there's, at the end, we know what it is. It's on November 7th. We know the open house. So you then have to plan accordingly. And I think as we're doing all projects and all things in growth, um, whether it's franchising or whatever you want to do, um, you're going to have to build the habits in to, to get to the next level or you just keep ruminating at the same place. Everything gets easier when you have great habits, right? And totally. it's like you install your own personal habits and then you become a great leader. Yeah. And as you're a great leader, you install habits in the rest of your team, whether it's actually for the business or before it's them personally. Yeah. You know, there's all these different things. And, and so that's, that's actually really, really good. Um, who are some of your role models um, just in life? I know you talked about uh, Dr. Maxwell. Dr. Maxwell, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, clearly a big role model, you know. So, in, you know, and that was when I did my um, breast and cosmetic fellowship um, back in 96, you know, and he changed everything really about my career. You know what, it's, it's, I know this is a weird one, but like um, who really earlier in my life changed was a um, fourth grade teacher and um, she just passed away. I just looked her up and she just passed away a few years ago. That's okay, because I was in, I was in her class in like 1979, no, 1971. So I was in her class in 1971, so I mean, and she was not young then. Yeah. So I'm, I figured that this was probably it for her. Yeah. Um, but she was, her name was Mrs. Rowe, and she and I just moved from another school. That was my first year at this school that I ended up finishing my, my elementary and junior high there and went off to the same high school. Um, and it's just somebody, so it has to be somebody believing in you, right? Yeah. So I was, I was in a school for part-time of the year before, and they put me in the, because I was only there for six months, they put me in the middle group. Like you have the smart people, and you have the, you have the people that are struggling, and then you have the middle group. So they put me in the middle group, which I'd have been in the middle group before in my life, but I was in the middle group until I finished at that school. You know, I felt like I wasn't the smartest person in the room, right? For sure. I mean, why would I not think that, you know? And I think the school I came from to that school, I probably was behind. Um, so then I go to fourth grade. I'm in a new school um, in a new town. Um, and all of a sudden, she would let me do my books by myself. So whatever she saw, she saw me like, oh, no, you're sorry. So it's giving you a belief, right? Like, mm -hmm. right. So she, um, I did my math book. So I finished my math book like in November of that year, as I recall. Um, I would do the timetables. I knew them so well. So I would be the one flipping the cards for the rest of the classmates so that I wasn't guessing all the time. Um, you know, and she would then do, maybe do science projects by myself. And it, it just takes a person to sort of turn it on for you, right? Yeah. So, you know, so, I mean, because of that, then I did have re-belief in myself. And then I went through all of my rest of my career, um, the rest of my career, even through college, um, never getting anything but an A, That's you know, awesome. in anything, right? Um, and I think it was because she was like, of course, you're smart. You can she helped cultivate an identity of excellence. Uh, yeah, and I didn't be like, you are going to do this. You're smart to do this on your own. You yeah. don't hardly need me. Yeah. You can do that book on your own. Um, you do it. And, you know, whether that's true or not, you start to have self-belief. And you Everybody know. has greatness within them. Does someone else believe it? Do you believe it yourself? Yeah. And greatness in what? Some people, it's, it's drawing. Yeah. Right? There's right. an artist. I have no, like, I mean, no, I know I'm a classic either. surgeon. Do you think I could draw? <laughs> I can't. I mean, no, I can't. And I see other people that just, like, immediately. I appreciate art, but I, I, and can't, music. I can't do anything. And yeah. the ability to be, make, be great in music Same. or great yeah. in art, it's such a talent, such a gift, you know. And I think in some ways, being a great student is the, kind of the same way. You know, you're gifted with certain things that, you yeah. know, you don't. They're gifts, you know. I, I, when I graduated from, um, from a general surgery residency, you know, I, I did say that, and I had, we all had to give it like a little talk. 
And I said, you know, you know, some things are my hard work and some things are just gifts, yeah. you know? And, you know, I've tried to take that gift, you know, and use it to its best that I can, um, you know, but sometimes gifts are just gifts. Mm -hmm. You know, you gotta just say thank you. And I'm very, very lucky. And those are the things, those are the blessings you get um, that help you to cultivate. We all have them. And as you said, it's just second ago. Yeah. We all have them. We how do have you, things special. How do you show someone else that you see a gift within them? Is there yeah. a way? I mean, and give us an example, perhaps, of something recent that you've done. Well, we do it all the time with our residents and our fellows. Because what right? a gift for someone to do that for you, right? Yeah, right. You know, and so we, I just have a, I just have um, a resident um, who's just graduating, Dr. Engineer. What was great about Dr. Engineer, um, which was he'd already been in practice for seven years, in hand surgery, got this opportunity to come back to Louisville from Las Vegas and um, do a plastic surgery residency. He always wanted to be a plastic surgeon. And so this opportunity opened up for him. He had to close his practice, make less money wow. for three years of a residency yep. to do it. It's hard to do yep. when it's all flowing along, but it's something you really want to do. And now it's over. He's just, you know, finishing there, you know. And so we, um, so me and Dr. Salzman, who's another plastic surgeon in town, always every year together take the residents that are graduating out to dinner as we did that and then he did, he was doing a um, little research project with me and he presented it at our um plastic surgery society meeting here and you start you start to build in them the things you see in them you start to cultivate in them mm -hmm. who they're going to be as a plastic surgeon you try to open doors to them have them start thinking about doing research doing um things because they're going to be good and he's really really great and so when you see that, you try to make sure they understand, just as Pat Maxwell did to me, um, that, you know, and all my staff like him so much, um, you know, that we see something great in them um, and they should continue down that way, you know, path. And I think you do, you know, we try to do that a lot. So I get the great opportunity because I have students all the time that we can do that with, you know, and you just try to do it. Then my, so my sister is, you know, going through some stuff at work, right? She's been there forever. She's fantastic. She gets up. She's gotten fives and all of our advisors always she has a new manager where now all of a sudden the manager's like giving her like threes you know on things that would drive her crazy and it's and i'm like michelle this is you've had 28 years doing this you know it's a manager this is this could be about the manager more than it's about you yep. and i said so where is your belief in who you are mm. how you how do you can you let one person waver that belief yes. in who I know you are and who you know you are. There's a um, researcher who lectures a lot now by the name of Brene Brown. Yeah. Brene, right? Yeah. And talks about vulnerability. Yes, absolutely. Right? Great about, YouTube video. Right. 35 million yeah, views. Right. Yeah. yeah, so. TED Talk, I'm sorry. And TED, TED, TED Talks, yeah. 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 You know, and Brene is great. And she talks about, you know, you know, the bravery in us, yes. right? And the brave heart and, and vulnerability. Yes. And the vulnerability you know, isn't a weakness, it's actually a strength, yes. right? And all creativity, all intelligence, all things great are born out of vulnerability, right? Um, and that you can't, and when the point with my sister, which was, and you can't let other people define you. And she says, you know, she, the old great speech from Roosevelt, which is like in the ring, you know, if you're not in the oh, ring, yes. right? In the arena, in right? The ring, if you're not in the arena, if you're not in the arena, you have no right. Absolutely. If you're not in the fight with me, you have no right to then criticize me yes. and you, what you say about me doesn't matter. So I gave my sister those podcasts, everything else, yeah. I mean, you know, so even my own family, you try to build it back up and say, mm -hmm. you see somebody's wavering and, and, you know, sort of judging themselves and or doubting themselves. And, you know, as so you step in and go, no, listen, let's get back to who you are. Yeah. Let's get you, let's get you re-strengthened. And we should all do that. 
when we find times, whether it be your faith or going to people that are motivational or people that have ideas to remind you, you know, who you are, because when it gets tough, you're going to sometimes feel like you're on your own and you have those resources. You know, if it's not family and friends, it's other things that can guide you through books and reading yes. and learning. And through that, you um, become stronger. Um, to get through the tough times. You know, a judge of who you are is never how you act to other people and how you are when things are great, right? It's when times get tough. Mm-hmm. I told my little brother this one time, when times get, how I'm gonna judge you is when times get tough. Yes. How do you act? Those are the tests. Can you, can you hold yourself up? Can you treat others with respect and dignity? Can you re- hold yourself to that same, you know, the accountability to yourself for who you are and how you act? Even when things are really, really hard, mm-hmm. that's how we're gonna judge you. How do you deal with stress? How do you deal with loss? How do, you know, what's your fortitude to get through that? And do you have the mechanisms to do that? That's extremely important because my God, life always gets tough. You lose people you love and you know, people yeah. you know, and you have challenges, you get fired from work and everything else. Yeah. So you have to have a way to get through the tough times to really, really enjoy that. Now they do say, you know, Nixon when he was um, leaving office or being thrown out of office or resigning, did say, you know, in order, you know, never can you enjoy the majesty of the greatest, highest mountains until you've dwelled in the deepest valleys, right? Yeah. So, so sometimes when you have the low times, the times, you really do have an opportunity then to really, really appreciate when times are good. That's so true. Man, there's so much, so much gold, with, yeah. gold nuggets of wisdom in this. Yeah. And what I want to do now is I want to transition into our sort of our rapid fire section. Mm. Uh, what we call is a rare air questionnaire. It's like, hey, we're climbing Mount Everest. And most people gave up. I mean, mm-hmm. most people took, you know, an hour or two along the path and it got way too cold and yeah. their mind said it was time to give up. So they gave up, but we've pushed beyond the limits here. And that's what Elevate Nation is mm-hmm. all about. So what, I, you know, we've talked about a lot of books. I mean, you've talked yeah. about, you know, being an author, you know, reading books, and you've even given suggestions to people who are wanting to yeah. you know, have success in business or in life to read. And I'd love to know, you know, what, what's one or two of the most impactful books that you've ever read? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, we talked about some of them, you know, yeah. as relates to business, you know, I think those, you know, um, and, and reading about saboteurs and understanding that, yeah. they kind of open up your eyes yes. to what's going on that, you know, and that. Um, and I think it's not even just books, but it's also um, these days videos and things. I do Absolutely. think um, Brene Brown's books um, are extremely, extremely impactful. If everybody, everybody needs to understand and have self-faith and belief, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, understand that vulnerability is a strength. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is so powerful when you can be vulnerable in front of those. I mean, I get in front of lots of people, lecture all the time. There's a huge vulnerability. Sure. But out of that, I, became, I become greater yes. and stronger and um, more, and more creative, yeah. creative, right? Yeah. And it opens up. And so I think for maybe the, she may have some of the most impactful things for what people need to get through the challenges of building their business and stuff and they get that strength and get that motivation within them and so it is power you read the books it is powerful to listen to people like her yeah. um tell those things i think it's really, really great well i mean one of the biggest things that like why we talk about what we talk about in this a lot of people say well come on we need more tactics in this oh. but this is the this is the most important stuff i mean if you can push past you said fear, it why people don't become successful is they quit too soon and they get fearful they get, and, they, yeah. and they let their fear overcome them they, they don't, don't, they don't want to sink the boat they don't want to yeah. sink the boat right exactly so you, can, you know and i get why believe me i get it if you got a family and you've got kids you're raising and they've got school tuitions and everything else and totally. you can stay on the in the sixty thousand dollar a year job, but you know greatness could be over here, but it's a yeah. risk. But you can make, you know, six figures. Yes. But you may not be. You know, it's a startup, right? And it's a challenge, right? 
can you take that risk? You know, and I get why people stay safe, yeah. but if they want to be successful, they're going to have to take risks. One of the things that I love so much is Tony Robbins. He talks yes. about where focus goes, energy flows, yeah. right? Oh, right? So if you're focusing on, well, you know, if I do this and all the bad things could happen, well, then it's probably going to happen. happen, right? So let's focus on prophecy, the right? Exactly. Yeah, you have a vision and a belief is super important, right? Absolutely. A belief in the vision of what you really, really want to do. I mean, a, a deep-hearted, um, full belief in that becomes extremely important because you have to know. And But at, at times, here's the real challenge. Um, maybe your vision's not right. Yes. And maybe it's not correct. So maybe the failure is telling you something that you need to know. Exactly. You need to listen. So if you're trying to, this is a concrete example. Yeah. If you've got a great idea and a great business model and a great suggestion, and you try to go out and get your angel investors and you yeah. get your investors and nobody yeah. thinks your idea is great. Right. And nobody will put any money in it. It's a, it's a clue, Don't right? put your own money in <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Don't go take all your retirement plan and put it away and, and foreclose, get your house foreclosed on. Yeah. And begin yeah, it, yeah. Right. And, and, yeah. and double mortgage off because yeah. it may not be a good vision. Yeah. So that's why you get investors because you're testing so your vision, right? So you're true. testing it to make sure it's right. So I think that's a, an important lesson. You know, you have to make sure your vision's right. Don't just blindly go into something, test it. Check with people, test it through getting financing. That's really that's good. Yeah. A lot of our listeners are real estate syndicators and mm -hmm. that's a great reminder. It's like, test your vision. Look, right. we're talking about business plans. You're gonna acquire a large multifamily asset or you know, uh, an office asset or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. It's mm -hmm. like, all right, well, if the investors are not coming to the door, you might need to, yeah. you might need to rethink this deal. I have, a, from a financial, it's think about real estate, everything else, and financially, you know, how I live my life is I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I don't like there being a chance that I could end up upside down sure. financially, right? Sure. So when I say take risks, Measured risk. Absolutely. Right? Because, you know, so the first thing I did when I started making money is I paid off my car, I paid off my student loans, yeah. and I paid off my house. That's awesome. Right? I'm going to pay those up. So today, and then, you know, then I had this building, and I, the financial crisis happened, the global financial crisis, yeah. and in 2007. So guess what? So once we kind of went through those waters, then I'm not paying off every lease I have, paying off every debt. Yeah. Up until this year, I paid off this building. That's and awesome. it's a large, yeah. expensive building. Yeah. And it's a beautiful so I, building. And I have, you know, I have lots of properties in, so to talk about you guys do a lot of real estate. Yeah, yeah. So I have properties in Florida, a lot in Miami area, yeah. and then here in town, and then of course this building. But this building, you know, so my accountant Margaret Anderson said one time many years ago before I bought this building, she, you know, what can I do? I was making money, I didn't really know where to invest it. How yeah, she yeah. in the stock market, right. and she's like, well, I buy buildings. She goes, because guess what? You'll be the best renter you know, right? Because yeah. you're gonna like actually pay your rent For and everything sure. else. Yeah. So and it was pay the yourself. best thing I did because now here, this is probably twelve years ago. Twelve years later. I own a you know eight million dollar building, seven eight million dollar building that's yes. all paid for, and I paid for it through the practice. Plus, you have the that. tax advantages and all that. All that is a huge yeah. asset I have. Yes. So you know, start at home with your yeah, investments, yeah. you know, and then try to you know. I know people leverage money and everything else. It, it, may, it can be important, but never leverage so much. It's good to use other people's money. Yeah, yeah. And but never leverage so never so much that you become upside down. Yeah. Um, in that. You know, you want to keep your home yeah. and you want to be secure and you yeah. want to be able to, if you have family, uh, manage to take care of them. So you have to measure your risks. Um, and that's extremely important. Yeah. Just haphazardly doing it and putting everything on the line for a, for a dream or a vision, yeah. you know, and it may be still the right vision. Yes. It may take 10 times as much money as you just put down yeah. and it fails because you run out of money too soon, right? We like leverage when it comes to appreciating cash flowing assets. Absolutely. You know, if you, you and, have to. And, and if you're looking at a liability, that's a total, yeah. different, total different game plan.
So, it, you know, debt can be one of the, one of the greatest, um, you know, weapons that you have, and it can also be one of the most dangerous weapons that you have. So I love yeah. that you said that. No, I think it's really, really important. You have yeah. to measure through that, you know, yeah. and if there's ever a place where you have to leverage debt, and it's in the real estate business, and it's in that, you know, because you don't have to pay yeah. for all each time. Right. You take a certain percentage of it is all you really need to have. Yeah. You know, probably enough so you don't pay insurances and stuff on it, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, you're going to leverage it either to make more money and then flip it or sell it, sure. or it becomes a, a revenue stream for you for the future um, to, to sort of provide um, income for future investments. And you can start building on it. And there's no, currently with our tax laws, there's no better place to be than to be basically an investor. Yeah. If that's your totally investor agree. status. The, the write-offs that you get, the ability to, to appreciate your depreciations yes. um, on your, yeah, each tax year Absolutely. is so much greater than it is for me who still makes most of my money by being on earned an income, income, income yeah, yeah. where you don't so get, you, so you have to delay those um, those depreciations and other things until after you sell the property. That's what a lot of our uh, <laughs> listeners do as well is we help yeah. high income individuals, you know, take care of that tax issue they have. You know what I mean? True. So that's a, that's a really good thing that you yeah, brought true. up there. But so what I want to do, I'd, I'd love to know, you know, we've talked about so many different things on, on how you elevate your life on a daily basis, how you elevate others on a daily basis. But I want to wrap it up with those two questions. How do you elevate your life on a daily basis? What's one kind of shining example that we haven't discussed uh, in our talk today yet? I got married. Yep. <laughs> okay. And that's right. Um, that the was better a half is, is, is elevating you in that way, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think so. You know, and I think that as you find yourself, you know, I'm in my, you know, in my other side of my 50s. Um, and, um, you know, I think you do have to assess, you know, how do you find balance, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, so I try to do all the right practices and I'm just so structured and, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, you sometimes have to sit back and say, you know, you know, I've done well, yeah. this has all worked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to find balance within it. You know, I'm in a great place in my career where, you know, um, you know, you know, people, you know, respect me and know who I am, you know, around the world as it relates to plastic surgery. I'm a key opinion leader as it relates to breast surgery. Um, and this practice, you know, it's paid off and it's successful and all those things. Um, you know, so then it's like making sure that as I move, at some point I'm going to have to retire, right? Yeah. I'm going to have to do something, right? Maybe. Have, you know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, and doing it all. So making sure I have a great plan for that transition and that it's all in a happy way. Yeah. And I thought, wait, we all have lots of gifts in us and things we can do too. So, you know, I'll always continue to work in a way, but making sure that I take time to have my personal life, sure. time with my family, my friends. You know, I was very close to my grandmother. She passed away um, a year and a half ago or two years ago. And I was so happy that I spent all that time that I did through all those years yeah. still being so close to her. So That's never losing track, you know, of being, I'm a really, really, really good brother and son. You can tell that and friend and husband. And those are my probably my four top jobs I've had to do. And maybe grandson too for my grandparents. Yeah. Um, you know, being good, you know, I'm very close to all of my family. I stay close to all my friends, um, you know, and so I don't lose that. Um, and it, you know, so what I'm kind of known for around the country is like, there's a lot of political things that go on, yeah. but you know, I don't have enemies in it. You know, yeah. I don't have to be that. I'm not gonna be that person. I think we should still be chivalrous and um, kind and gentle and nice and um, and still, you know, um, be directed at what our goals are. Yeah. I think you still you balance all of that. Well, and it's so important to not forget about what the real priorities are in life, right? right. We, we get all so caught up in like, especially the drivers, the A yeah. players, the alphas, right. you know, we wanna, we wanna have it all. We wanna and, do, be, and have it all. But you can't forget about the priorities. No, and, and but you know, in your 30s and your 20s, we, you know, we, as we go through stations in life and through psychology, you know, you learn that 
you know, we have different stages of what our life, you know, yeah. um, and um, Eric Erickson and others have talked about that, yes. you know, right? And, you know, and, you know, you go and later on, you're trying to figure out how to make your life have purpose, right? And mm -hmm. meaning. That's not what you're doing at 20 and 30. Right. You know, it's intimacy versus isolation, sure, right? Sure. You're trying to find the love of your life and you want to have intimacy and that becomes important. Yeah. And then you want to have productivity. Right. And that becomes an important part of it. And you're driven to, I told you that, but that was the cost of that relationship of 19 years yeah. was I was in that place, you mm -hmm. know, where you're in building a career and driving through in the career. But as you get older, it changes. So I think it's appropriate if you're building your career, you're driven it. You're not starting to think about like how many vacations am I getting this year? Yeah, you yeah, know, right? Yeah. Um, it is because you're in that moment of that. But sure. you have to then, as time goes on, say that this can't. I've got to let that. I've got to find the time for the other things too, um, and make sure that you um, feed those things so that you can have a happy life. We've talked a mm -hmm. lot about education and educating others, but I'm curious to know what's what's the other big way that you really elevate others around you. Other than education? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I think that I lead by example. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, in many ways, how I elevate others is by how I treat them, how I respect them, both as a boss, um, as a, you know, at my church, you know, yeah. um, things I do, you know, I lecture at my church. I have for like 20 or 30 years. I'm involved in my community um, and those people around me. And leading by example, you know, as I said, you know, is for those who much is given, much is expected. I expect all people of whatever level, I expect them to give back. You know, I think that's a, a tenet of who we should be as human beings. And so I, so the best way I can, I'm not going to tell them they should do that, right? All you can really do is just lead by example in, in how, you, how you act and how you do it, you know? Don't get me wrong. I'm the biggest jokester. I mean, I'm not Mr. Sweet all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I can be, I can be, I can be difficult and critical and funny with people and I tease people all the time and everything else. So I don't think you have to be, you know, sort of, sissy about it and sassy about yeah, it yeah, and like yeah. oh money about it and i'm not sitting around with my bible in my underneath you know my right. pocket <laughs> pulling it out i mean you're just living a, a life that is one that's your best life and you treat people with respect and dignity in the end of the day and um lead by example and hope that that elevates everybody to a higher place well you've definitely led by example today and this has been a ton of fun i really appreciate I know, you I, sitting I appreciate down Tyler, so it's absolutely good to see you and yeah i'm glad you're doing this i think this is an important project you guys to do with these podcasts and stuff and i think people will learn a lot from it and hopefully get motivated by it and if nothing else just feel more confident that they're not alone absolutely. We, we all get what they're experiencing we've all been down there and on the other side of it, there's something better. Ultimately, my mission is to get people to reach a place of fulfillment. Yeah, and that's really, right. you know, that's I, I think that's where you've gotten to in your life. And, you know, most people just tolerate their life. You know, <laughs> it's like, come on, we've got to we've got to open up. There's the possibility of something greater out there. And you've really shown us that today. So well, I really you. appreciate, I appreciate that. And uh, so just a, just a few uh, things here um, in terms of uh, Elevate Nations staying in contact with you and staying kind of following your journey uh, as you continue along this path. Uh, how can they do that? You can, you or everybody, they can do it by um, being on my Instagram and being on Instagram, yes. Facebook, yes. and being involved with Calo Spa and Calo Aesthetics and what we're doing. We try to let people know, um, being in the office, coming in, getting our newsletters, coming to see um, all of us here, um, you know, and I'm around and I'm e I have email and um, I like to hear from people and yep. hear what's going on. So more than glad to ever, I, I have people ask me things all the time or send them information or things they need. Um, and I send them. So I just gave lectures in um, Australia. So I put a Dropbox in all my talks, all my lectures, I put into a Dropbox. So anybody who's in the meeting is like, they always are like, oh, I, I missed that slide. Like, 
You can have them all. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. That's awesome. So I think it's, it'd be, I'm a, very much available. That's awesome. Well, Elevate Nation is really all around the world, so they will be on the lookout for you when they when you visit their next city. Exactly. So um, we'll definitely be sharing that, and we'll be keeping everybody updated to where you are next. And thank you for educating us today and leading by example today. And so what I want to do is I want to remind Elevate Nation, I mean, this is absolute gold. This is a master class, like I said. You've got to replay this show. You've got to take notes. You've got to share it. You've got to teach somebody else, as Dr. Calabrese said. And, um, you know, really – at the end of the day, it is all about repetition. It's about learning. It's about growing. It's about becoming more. But it is about taking action. It's about taking massive action. You know, mm-hmm. because just because you learn something, yes, you have the potential for power. Mm-hmm. But taking massive action is where you get that actual power. And so uh, yeah. I want to thank, you know, Dr. Calabrese again for being here today. You're welcome. And I want to thank Elevate Nation for tuning in. And uh, until next time, we appreciate it. And thank you so much. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit tylerchesser.com.